You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. But uh, it's an exciting Sunday. It's Palm Sunday, very historic day in the church. This is uh, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem triumphantly on a donkey, and they were laying down these palm leaves as a symbol of victory, and they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Next week is Easter Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. Yesterday was Passover. This amazing day celebrated on the Jewish calendar that, that commemorates the 10th the plague that was levied against Pharaoh where the children of Israel put blood on the doorposts and the lintels of the doors of all of their homes and the angel of death passed over their homes and struck the Egyptians and it was the seal that sealed their deliverance from Egypt. And so today, we're actually at all of our campuses. We're having um, what we're calling Communion Sunday. So all six of our campuses, every single message is about the Lord's Supper. It's about communion. And we're all going to take communion at the end of the message together. And communion, the Lord's Supper, was a Passover meal. And so um, we're going to look at a a passage from the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians. So go ahead and jump uh, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to look at verses 23, 24, 25, and 26. It'll be on the, um, the screen behind me, but also good to, you know, look at it on your Bible. And um, I want to maybe set this up before we dive into it. So uh, the Apostle Paul in Corinthians is, um, he's issuing a pretty swift rebuke to the church. So he's not like, you know, you guys are doing amazing, keep it up. He's actually like, hey, you guys are got some things a little backwards. I need to do some, some correction. So he um, addresses a few things, and towards the back half of chapter 11, starting around verse 20, I think, he says, hey, and the way that you guys have been taking the Lord's Supper is not right. You've not been doing it correctly. And what had happened was they started to treat it very flippantly, very um, just kind of casually. They had lost their reverence for the Lord's Supper. And so he rebukes them, and he basically outlines, you know, here's what you're supposed to do, and here's why we do it. So we're going to read it together, and we're going to talk about it. First Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Here we go. should be on the screen behind me. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord, Apostle Paul talking, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same manner, he, Jesus, also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, there's a lot in there. And um, we're going to kind of break it down uh, here for a couple minutes. And, and what's amazing is we see um, the way the, the Apostle Paul outlines it. There's, um, you know, I'm a preacher, so I'm going to give you three points. That's just what we do, right? So out of this, we have three points. You, and what we see from the Apostle Paul is that we have to know what happened. We have to remember what happened. And we have to enforce what happened. You got to know, remember, and enforce. You got to know what happened, point one. So fairly obvious once you actually think about it. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Well, the only way that they could remember it is because they knew Jesus. You can't remember something you don't know. I don't remember Moscow because I've never been, 
right? You can only remember things that you first know. So when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, the presupposition is that they know him, right? So I want to take a couple minutes and just break down what happened. So we're all on the same page. What actually happened when Jesus died and was resurrected so that we all know what happened. So the gospel, if you, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are called the four gospels. Very good. Okay. Gospel, just a Greek word that means good news. That's all it means. So when we have a newspaper, a newspaper just tells you all of the new things that have happened. That's why it's called the news. It's just all the new stuff. That's what a newspaper is. Okay. So when the gospel means good news, all it means is that something happened in history and it was good. So what happened? Well, simply put, an exchange was made. When Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, there was a debt that was paid on our behalf. But a, a debt, like let's say I offer, because I'm feeling super generous, to pay off all of your unsecured credit card debt. And everybody said amen. Come on, somebody, right? Now, you could be like, oh, praise God, glory, hallelujah, this is amazing. And then you go about your business. Well, your debt is going to go unpaid. Because you have to actually accept my gift. We have to actually facilitate an exchange. I will have to wire money to your bank account. Then you will have to take the step of then paying off your credit card. My willingness to pay your debt does not cancel your debt. I can be willing to pay your debt, but you also have to accept the payment of that debt. So I want to take a second. We're going to have to do, we're going to have to back up 30,000 feet, kind of do some philosophical work for a minute. I know it's going to be in some of your wheelhouses and some of you are maybe not so much, but just hang with me because it's important. We're going to get somewhere. Okay. So we need to understand this exchange. So we've got to kind of start at the beginning here. So just follow me for a second. Let's just say that beautiful Pastor Stacy and I, we get into an argument. Okay. That would never happen. But let's just say we did. And um, Stacy is upset because I have spread a rumor about her that is not true. Yeah. So Pastor Stacy comes to me. She says, Mike, I feel that what you have done is wrong. Um, it has hurt me, and, you know, we need to work it out. But I feel like it was a wrong thing for you to do that. What that conversation presupposes is that we both have agreed to a set of rules of how to live rightly. And what Pastor Stacy is, is saying is, Mike, you have broken one of those rules and we need to sort that out. Now, some people will say, there's no such thing as right and wrong. It's just a, a social construct, you know, it's not. And it's just really funny because the people that say that have just never had something really bad actually happen to them. The second they get mugged or their car gets broken into, then all of a sudden it's like, hey, that was so wrong and they feel so offended, so right? When something bad happens to you, then all of a sudden you really, you realize that there is right and wrong. And so for Stacy and I to have a conversation about me, if, if there is no right and wrong, then Stacy can't be mad at me. We can't all be held, I can't be held to a standard that doesn't exist, right? But we all know that it's true. The only reason we can have organized sports is because we all agree, or all, at least all the people that play the game agree on the rules, can you imagine a basketball game where a guy's dribbling and ref blows the whistle? And he's like, hey, you're out of bounds. You're like, no, no, no. And the ref's like, yeah, yeah, the, the black line right there, that's, that's out of bounds. Not to me. 
I'm just out here living my truth, you know, living my basketball truth. You seek your truth. This is my truth. And in my truth, out of bounds is wherever I say it is. Can you imagine a sports game where everybody just makes up their own rules? It would be chaos. I tried to play Chinese checkers with my five-year-old son, almost five years, and it was a mistake. Okay? He's a smart kid. I thought he was there, just not quite there yet. Okay? And I'm trying to explain the rules, and, you know, I'm like, okay, you move these little guys, you're trying to get all these over to that side, and if they're, you can jump, you know, and da-da-da. And so, like, I would go, and then he would just take one from his side and just go, Shh. And I'm like, no, 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 you have to move, like, one, and he's like, oh, I thought you told me I'm trying to get these over there. I'm just moving them over there. I'm... And we can't, you can't play the game unless you all agree on the rules. So as human beings, whether we want to admit it or not, we all live under, and we have all agreed on, now of course, we break the rules. We, there are people that break the rules more than others, but we all generally agree that there is this, this higher moral code that is above us. And it's not, it's not a social construct. It's, not, it's something that has, that has always existed. It's a divine law of sorts. And it's so, you know, and, and that's what makes human beings different than, than the animals, right? Like when a lion goes and takes down an antelope, he's not like, I'm sorry, buddy. I feel so bad, right? They, animals don't have a conscience. We do. Mark Twain said that human beings are the only creature that blushes or needs to. We we feel that there's a way that we ought to live. And that is a subscription to a divine law, that there is something eternal that sits above all of us. Now, as Christians and, and in uh, Judaism as well, we look at that as the divine law passed down by God, the Ten Commandments and everything that is stemmed from the Ten Commandments, right? And so that, those are the rules, and in our society, if you break one of the laws, you owe a debt, right? You owe either money if it's a small thing or you owe prison time if it's a more grievous offense. So when there is uh, a breaking of one of those laws, there is a debt that has to be paid. Shouldn't be that shocking. That's how it works in our world, just among us humans, right? So if a law is broken, there is a debt that has to be paid. And so when we look at these, these, um, these rules, these laws of God, these, these Ten Commandments, these are, the, these are the laws of the land. These are the admission standards, if you will, into the presence of God. And if we have broken those, then there is a debt that needs to be paid. So what, you know, what I think especially today in our modern um, Western society we live in, people have a hard time with this. And they say things like, well, hey, wait a minute. Isn't God just a God of love and grace? and forgiveness, and fairy dust, and all those beautiful things. And yes, of course, God is a God of love, grace, and forgiveness, but God cannot just forgive. Let me explain why. Let's say I borrow Pastor Stacy's car, okay? In the parking lot at Target, got what I needed, and I'm backing up, and boom, I bump into a light post. It's a big, massive dent in Pastor Stacy's bumper, and I'm distraught because now I have to go to her, and I say, Pastor Stacy, I'm so sorry. I put this big dent in your bumper, and it's, you know, it's going to be like $1,200 to fix, and I can't, I can't afford that. I don't know what, what we're going to do, but I'll, you know, I'll do something. I'll work really, really hard. I'll start you know, doing DoorDash or something. We'll, we're going to figure it out. Now, if Pastor Stacy were to say, Mike, don't worry. I forgive you. The dent in the bumper doesn't go away. The dent in the bumper is still there. 
So Pastor Stacy now has to pay $1,200, or when she sells the car, she will sell it for $1,200 less. So when Pastor Stacy forgives me, the offense doesn't go away. She has simply assumed responsibility for it. And so for God to forgive us, the offense doesn't go away. The debt has to be paid for. And so when God forgives you, he doesn't just forgive you. The act of forgiveness must also include him assuming the responsibility for that debt, right? Now, some other people would say, gosh, I mean, isn't God a little bit of a meanie? Like, gosh, we've got these rules, and if I break, like, one of them, then all of a sudden I'm, like, separated from him forever? I mean, it just feels kind of, well, look, if we're honest, we haven't broken just one of them, okay? Look, I can't speak for you. You're you, I'm me, so pastor up here, full transparency, let's look at him. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. (laughs) Broke that one, okay? Um, I have put success, I have put people, I have put all kinds of things before God in my life. You shall make no idols. I have made people into idols. I have made um, different milestones in my life. Like if I could just get that, then everything will make sense. I've put my broken, you shall not take the the name of, of Lord God in vain, done that. Uh, Keep the Sabbath holy. Haven't always done that. Sometimes I let my work get the better of me and I can forget to rest. Um, Honor your father and mother. Haven't always done that. Shall not murder. I haven't physically killed somebody. But Jesus came along and and said that if you even have hate in your heart, that you have murdered someone in your heart. I have felt that way at times, not lately. Okay, so (laughs) calm down. You shall not commit adultery. I have not, you know, physically cheated on my wife, but Jesus came along and said, if you even look at a woman lustfully, then you have already committed adultery in your heart. Guilty. You shall not steal. Guilty. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Guilty. You shall not covet. Guilty. Don't know about you guys. That's just me. Maybe you guys are doing a little better than me. Got a hand over here. Praise God. Okay, it's at least two of us. Now, let me ask you a question. Some people say, man, like... You know, that's one of the big things people have a problem with with Christianity. You know, how could a good God banish people to hell and da-da-da-da? Let me ask you a question. What would happen to you if you broke every single law in California? If you murdered somebody, raped somebody, assaulted somebody, committed armed robbery, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, what do you think would happen? You're getting the death penalty or you're going to jail for the rest of your life, which is effectively death as far as your social engagement goes. So is it really that extreme for the, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and a lot of people have a really hard time with that, but I don't, again, that's, that would be the penalty for you if you broke every single law in California. And so that's what the Bible says, that the wages of sin is death. And so the, the you know, people say, why, well, why can't, why does God have to be so harsh? Why can't he just lower his standards just a little bit? I mean, it's supposed to be this God of grace and forgiveness. Well, let me give you one more analogy here. So the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, is the world's most prestigious technical college when it comes to science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM. There is no greater school in the world for those technical degrees than MIT. It's in movies. It's in, it's like a, a, an institution of like American folklore because of its, its amazingness, Right? Now, I applied to MIT. I'm an engineer by trade, and I wanted to go to graduate school, and I applied at MIT, and I gave them me in paper form. I presented to them my academic record to be accepted, 
and I said, here's my transcript, here's all the grades I've ever gotten, here's an essay about why I belong at your school, here's my SAT score, here's my da-da-da-da. And they looked at me, my academic self, and they put that up against their admission standards, and they said, rejected. You do not live up to the standards that will get you accepted here. Now, what if MIT, in this 2021 world we find ourselves in, said, you know what? How wicked of us to be so exclusive. I mean, what were we thinking? We need to be more inclusive, so you know what? Admission standards are going away. Anybody that wants to come into MIT, well, doggone it, they're going to get an MIT education. What would happen to the value of an MIT degree? It would mean nothing. It would no longer be the most valuable technical degree that you can get. In the same way, God is incapable of lowering his standards because that would devalue who God is. So when Jesus Christ, only person in history that actually lived in perfect obedience to God in every way, never sinned, lived a perfect life, lived up to every admission standard that God has, what essentially happened, if we go back to the MIT analogy, Jesus is this super nerdy whiz kid who has gotten straight A's in every single class he's ever taken. He's in AP history and multivariable calculus and taking all these AP classes. He got a 1600 on his SAT. He's like the president of the chess club and student council president and quarterback of the football team. He's got all these extracurricular. He volunteers for Habitat for Humanity. He wrote the most eloquent, beautiful essay about how he's going to change the world with his MIT degree. And then Jesus says, Mike, I want you to put your name on top of this transcript. I want you to put your name on the top of my essay. That's why Christianity is so scandalous. Because you know what that's called? It's called fraud. It's against the law. (laughs) Christianity is fraud. It's us putting our name on the top of Jesus's, not his academic record, but his moral record. And when that gets submitted before God Almighty, God looks at you and you, and you, and you, and you, and me, and he says, accepted, 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 accepted. That is what happened. That is the story of Christianity. And so when we take communion, as we're going to in just a bit, we, we don't just know what happened. The Bible says, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. We are to remember what happened. Point number two, remember what happened. Now, uh, Neuroscientists are, are believing more and more and more that everything that our brain intakes is stored in our brain, that nothing goes away. Every smell, like the, the smell of dinner of June 12, 1999 is actually in your brain. Now, you can't remember it because you haven't created the neuropathway to get to that information and access it. But scientists believe that all the data is in there. Every time you remember something, you, you strengthen the neural pathway to that piece of information to be able to recall it more quickly. So it's interesting. I, my, my dad passed away about two decades ago. I know his phone number by heart, 214-384-489. I remember my home phone from when I was like eight years old, 214-471-1033. I know my mom's, 214-797-8396. My sister, 214-797-9270. My wife, 817-296-6850. But that's actually where it stops. You want to know Why? Because of this. This came out. This is called a smartphone, right? 
Now, for all of you youngsters, and it makes me feel very old to say this, I was around before this, before this was a thing. When I was a kid, I would like ride my bike to a friend's house. My parents would say, make sure to call home when you got there. I couldn't just pull out my cell phone and, and click mom. I had to remember the phone number. I had to dial 214-471-1033 to call home. And I had to do that all the time. So every single time I did that, it strengthened the neural pathway for me to remember that phone number. So much so that 25 years later, I know my home phone number from the house I grew up in by heart. I know my dad's number who died 20 years ago. I know it by heart. Because I have created a neural pathway to recall it. When we do this in remembrance of Jesus, when we take communion, when we take the Lord's Supper, what you're doing is you are creating accessibility to that truth. In your mind, you are, you are strengthening a neural pathway so that that truth, the reality of, of you as a believer, that you are no longer a slave to sin, that you are a conqueror, that you are an overcomer, that because of the death of Jesus, you are healed, all of these things, that actually brings that to the forefront of your mind. And now, as we remember and continue to remember, it makes it more and more accessible, almost like a, a sword that is now on your hip that you can pull out of its sheath at any moment because you have strengthened your mind to remember it. It is now accessible. So that's why Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me frequently. And lastly, as we come to a close here, we have to not just know what happened, not just remember what happened, but we have to enforce what happened. And so I'm going to ask the team to put um, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, which we read, the last verse that we read um, earlier. And I want to look at it one last time. Is it up here? There we go, verse 26. Now, this is interesting. So the Apostle Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, that is interesting. Because what does it mean to proclaim? Proclaim means to make known by a public announcement. You don't proclaim something for yourself. You proclaim something for other people to know something. So wait a minute. I thought communion was this delicate inward moment of reflection where we just close our eyes and we remember what Jesus said to us. The Apostle Paul says it is that, but it's not just that. That actually when we partake in communion, we proclaim to the spirit world around us about the death of Jesus, about what was actually accomplished when he died and was resurrected, that I am a son or a daughter of the Most High God. I didn't think I told you the title of the message. The title of my message is Bread for Battle and Wine for War. Communion is not just an inward moment of reflection. It is a weapon of warfare. It's so interesting because everything in the kingdom of God is, and actually the word, you know, and we don't really say it here. It's a little bit of maybe dated language, but a lot of churches would call the Lord's Supper the sacrament. Anybody heard that? The sacrament? That word comes from a Latin word that has two definitions. The same word means two different things. And it can mean, it can mean something that is set aside as holy or sacred. Makes sense. But there's another uh, same word, different definition for sacrament. That means um, the obedience of a military command. Sacrament can also mean in Latin 
the obedience of a military command. Communion is not just a quiet moment where we sing kumbaya in our heart. It is actually a weapon of warfare for you and your family in your world. Everything in the kingdom of God is executed by speaking, by declaring, by proclaiming. God said, let there be light. He said it, said, let there be light, and light was. A centurion comes to Jesus and, and says, hey, my servant is, is sick. Will you heal him? Jesus says, yeah, sure. I'll come to your house right now. And the centurion says, no, no, no. I'm not worthy of you even stepping under my roof. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, never even in all of Israel have I seen faith like this. This man knew that what executes things in the kingdom of God is speaking. It's the word of God. Jesus, when he would heal someone, he would speak. He would say, stretch out your hand, lift, take up your mat. When Jesus was on the boat with the disciples and the wind and the waves were going crazy, he could have done anything. He could have just gone like this. He could have winked. I don't know. Could have, he could have done nothing. Could have just thought about it. And the, the wind and the but he spoke. He said, "Peace, be still." Things are executed in the kingdom of God when we proclaim, when we speak, when we declare. And the Bible says, when we take communion, we are proclaiming something to the spirit world. We are saying to, to, to the, the powers that be around you that Jesus Christ died for me, that I am covered by his blood. I am no longer a sinner saved by grace. I was a sinner saved by grace, but now the Bible says I am a holy nation. I am a royal priesthood, that I am a vice regent in the earth for the most high God. Communion is a weapon. Now in our form of government, as we close here, we have a legislative branch. We have an executive branch and a judicial branch, right? The legislative branch, legis, like where we get legal, they make legislation. That's their job. So the Senate and the House of Representatives in our country make laws, but they don't enforce laws. It's the job of the executive branch of government to enforce those laws. Executive, same as the word execute. An executive at a business gets things done. They execute things. The, a, a law has no power if no one enforces it. And I remember, you know, um, a handful of months ago when we had another round of, of shutdowns and um, small businesses who were already doing everything they could, you know, restaurants that were, had moved everything outside and were trying to do the best, then all of a sudden it's like, we can't do that anymore. That there were police officers whose job, the police officers, their job in our society is to enforce the law. They don't make the speed limit. They don't come up with it. They just enforce it. And there were a lot of police officers that I had talked to that just said, man, we're not gonna do it. We're not gonna go to a restaurant that's barely struggling to stay afloat and, and tell them they've gotta close their doors. We're not gonna find them. We're not gonna cite them. We're not gonna put chains around their doors. And because the enforcer of the law would not enforce it, the law became powerless. When Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When Jesus came, a new administration took over the earth. A kingdom is a form of government. It's called a monarchy, okay? And a kingdom, a form of government, has its own rules, its own laws, its own principles, its own culture. And that is the, the form of government that we as believers live under, the kingdom of heaven. And God gives us the authority as his vice regents in the earth to enforce his principles, to enforce what he has said, to enforce um, the, the miraculous, to call down, to make uh, earth look a little bit more like heaven. 
That's our job. We are his vice regents. We enforce. And so when we take communion, which we're about to do right now, you're enforcing the kingdom of heaven over your life. In November of last year, if you guys remember, a lot of you were here, there was a real wave of illness that went through our campus. I mean, it was crazy. A lot of people, everybody was getting sick. And, and so Katie and I took communion for you, our church family. And we sat at our little island in our home. And I, you know, it's, there's nothing religious about it. I think it was like a Dorito and some orange juice. I don't, you know, I don't even remember what it was. It doesn't have to be wine and sourdough bread. It can be any kind of carb and liquid, I suppose. And we didn't take communion as a kumbaya moment to just remember the goodness of God, which it is that. We took communion to remind the devil that by his, by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. And we took communion for our church that the sickness would go, that the sickness would pass over, that healing would come in to people's bodies. When we faced uh, financial turmoil, we take communion to remind the devil that we are the head, not the tail, above only, not beneath, that God has given us the power to create wealth so we can establish his covenant in the earth. The Psalms say that his paths drip with abundance. And we remind the devil through communion of what was purchased for us. When we've had strife in our family, strife in our marriage, when we find ourselves at each other's throats and we just can't seem to communicate, can't, can't seem to get on the same page, we take communion because it's not just a quiet moment of inward reflection. It is a weapon of warfare. So I'd love for you to hop for your feet really, really quick. We're going to take communion right now as a church family. And I'm going to, there should be a little, little cup in the seat back in front of you. If you're in the front row there on your seat. And here in a second, I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, we're all going to take communion together. The worship team is going to just sing for a couple minutes. But I want you right now, um, to begin to think about what are you at war for in your life? And I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe there, there's discord in your marriage. Maybe you've got a son or a daughter that you are desperately believing is gonna come back to the house of God or come to the house of God for the first time. Maybe it's, you know, it's financial. Maybe you're believing God for an amazing promotion at work or, or I, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Maybe you're in here and you just feel despair. Maybe you've walked with God for a long time, but you just feel distant from him, feel far from him. We're gonna to go to war right now together as a church family. We're gonna remind the devil that we belong to God, that the accuser cannot accuse us. If you feel shame, if you feel guilt about whatever, that's not from God. That's a wicked, wicked lie from the pit of hell. If you are in here and you are a believer in Christ, when Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees perfection. He sees amazing daughter of God, amazing son of God, warrior, warrior princess. So maybe that's what you need to go to war for over your own uh, self-worth and self-image. I don't know what it is. We're going to pray right now. We're going to take communion and we're going to sing for just a couple seconds and I'll close the service out. So let's pray. God, I thank you right now for this great weapon of warfare that you have given us, God. The Lord's Supper, communion the sacrament, whatever we want to call it, God. And I pray right now that as we partake, that it's not just a 
religious ceremony. It's not just some, some action we do to, to, to say that we're obeying and to, to check off the box that we're, we're being good Christians, God, that it would be so much more than that, God. And even under the sound of my voice as I am praying, God, I just see you bringing pictures into the minds of the men and women that are, that are here in this auditorium, God, that they're seeing the giants that they need to slay, God, and that as they take communion, it is a weapon of warfare, God, that where there is discord in marriage, there's gonna be reconciliation in Jesus' mighty name. Where there are children who are far from the house of God, they're gonna come running back, that there's gonna be legacies that are shifted in Jesus' name, that generational curses of alcoholism, drug addiction, sexual addiction are gonna be broken in Jesus' name. God, that what was present in the great-grandfather, the grandfather, the father, is gonna break right now in Jesus' name, that the son and the grandson and the great-grandson will live free of that thing in Jesus' name, God. We recognize right now, God, this great weapon of warfare that you have given us. God, we declare prosperity over your people, God, for people believing for homes, people believing for increase. God, we remind the devil right now that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. As it says in your word, God, we believe, God, for homes to be purchased, God, not so that we can live in vanity and, and flaunt what you, but God, so that we can take territory in the earth. God, that there are going to be addresses that no longer belong to the devil. They belong to the kingdom of God because the people of God are going to purchase homes. God, we pray for our church that we would purchase buildings, God, that we would take back the, the city of San Diego, God, piece by piece, by lot by lot. God, we pray it all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.